it's going to be the lure of the store cupboard. Or even the larder, if you're lucky enough to have one. Or the pantry. Or in my house, what I call the crazy cupboard, because it was built insanely by the person who sold us the house. You know one of those cupboards, those those kind of pantry cupboards? They're tall and they're skinny and you pull them out? Yes. Well, they built one of those cupboards, but they didn't put in the pulling out bit. So, you know, you just I basically endlessly have my phone torch light scrambling and then something falls out and then there's cumin all over the floor. It's a nightmare. And always, what you always want is always right at the back, isn't it? You know, so you have to grope around for it. And it's it's like anything. It's like with your new pencil case at the beginning of every school academic year. You say to yourself on the first day that you will never let it get into a mess, that you will always put things back properly. And I said that to myself when I packed this cupboard. And of course, it is a complete mess already. Basically, it's a space, whether it's a stall cupboard, whether it's a larder or whether it's one of those things that go pull in and out. It's somewhere where you put your spices, your vinegars, your oils, all those things that you keep Mm. around for adding flavour or for cooking with in the course of the week. And there, you know, there's great untapped resources, I find sometimes, you know, you'll, you kind of forget what you've got in there. And so it's good every now and again to do an audit and go through it and sort of use it as inspiration to make a dish or something. Otherwise, you know, things just sort of end up living in there forever and losing their patency and then you have to bin them. Well, don't you forget that thing when you're going through and you think, Christ, what on earth did I buy that for? You know, a super hot, explosively hot, titanically hot sauce or you know, some obscure spice from some corner of the world. Uh, I think, what on earth did I do that for? That's you, the obscure spice has usually been on an Ottolenghi recipe. <laughs> no, we cast no aspersions on the great Ottolenghi. Thank you very much indeed. But, uh, but a tip on spices, actually because I do think it's a really valuable one, is that you should really replace your spices at least every six months, if not earlier, because they simply, once you've opened the, the, the packaging, they simply begin to lose their potency, no matter what they are. So I mean, I know that's true, but it's irritating, because, you know, for the most part, I think we don't use that sized spice okay. thing in six months and so you it feels like you end up you know it'd be really good if they made them in smaller jars just half jars would be better or little sachets actually you don't need to have jars you have little sachets ceiling sachets which you can can use if you go and shop at big supermarkets like you know any of the big ones the big big ones not that not the expresses or the locals or even Mm, whatever it's just the really big ones where you can also buy electronics and that kind of stuff they have started now selling certain spices in sealable packets Mm. so and and you know they're quite in quite large quantities but then you can refill your jars in smaller you know in smaller amounts which i've started doing or do you think you can freeze them i'm not so sure about um about <laughs> freezing spices it's not something i I've don't know ever, someone someone write in and tell us or, yeah, or send us an instagram yes. whether you can freeze dry spices just just to show that we don't know absolutely everything you can't i must say you can't well i can't maybe i'm doing it wrong freeze fresh spices i've tried that i mean fresh herbs i've tried that now a few times no. And it's just a total fail. They just go all mushy, don't they? Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, but spices, maybe some some spices you can you can actually. So, what are the spices which you like to have? What are the spices you rely on most? So, what well, spices and dried herbs? Maybe we can talk about. Okay. But I mean, the things I use the most, uh, I use cumin quite a lot, turmeric, um, dried coriander. 
when you say dried coriander, do you mean coriander seed or coriander the the? the... Oh, both, both coriander seed and and leaf. you know dried leaf. Oh, fennel seeds. I use those a lot. They're great. They and you you can use them in all different types of cuisines. Use fennel seeds, chili. I've got cayenne pepper and chili flakes always. Yeah. And then the one that you're going to grimace at, but I don't care, is garlic granules. Uh, and no. they are totally different to gar- fresh garlic, so you don't use them in the same way. They basically, it should be called garlic salt, because basically it's another way of salting it. But I use them really frequently. I've probably used them on things I've cooked for you, and you've enjoyed them. <laughs> um, in fact, garlic <laughs> granules, we use them so much in our house that that is the one that probably gets rebought every three months naturally oh really well i have to say that they have yet to find their way into my into my into my well, spice got, you have i must say when i cook at your house you've got quite a restrained dry spice collection yeah i don't use i don't use a, a lot the one or two things that i major things that i use are peppers i'm really really keen i now have about five or six different tilly cherry pepper the black peppers and white peppers not not the pink ones and i don't mean the chilies either i mean you know, are we talking about peppercorns here peppercorns yes peppercorns, peppercorns yes and a yes. sarawak uh australian i get that i love the lure of the of the exotic Ooh, that's it, we need to do it we need to do peppercorn tasting because i'm interested yeah. as to what these yeah I'm up well they that. have a great difference and for example when I have my boiled egg, on those days when I have a boiled egg, I never use a black pepper. I use a white pepper because I think the 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 gentler but also still quite powerful flavour of the white pepper sits much better with the egg. I know that sounds absolutely pretentious nonsense, but never mind. It's <laughs> we must have these little rituals. Um, I use juniper. I use that quite a lot. Ooh. I love allspice. Oh, do you? I'm not a fan of the flavour of allspice, oh. but I'm I'm with you on juniper. But juniper berries, yeah, they're juniper they're berries. very good. Yeah, a uh, bit of nutmeg occasionally I use. Uh, I, well, I'd always like to have a little pack of saffron around the place too. Yes, love it's, saffron. So if you're going to make risotto, as I the other day I made, I did a classic ossobuco with mm. risotto milanese, and you know, that sort of golden heap. Of, I love of, uh, saffron risotto, or even just sometimes saffron through through a bit of pasta. You know, with a bit of cheese, you don't need much else. And and I think actually this is useful. We shouldn't just talk about what's in our cupboards, but we use it for. So juniper berries, I crush them and I put them under duck legs when I make duck legs. That's, very very good. I use works. them. I use all those spices when I'm making terrines, for example. Oh, do you? Yes. Or. My great contribution to world gastronomy, the pheasant ham. Oh. Uh, is... I'm, fe- so I'm obsessed with it. And for those listening who know what biltong is, it's effectively pheasant biltong. It is it's, absolutely delicious. It's game biltong. But what you do is that, is that when at the end of the, the curing, which only doesn't take that long, which just means burying pheasant breast in salt for about 36 hours. But then I wrap them up with like I roughly crush the you know, the the peppers, uh, the juniper, the um, mm. uh, whatever else, what others, others, coriander frequently I use, and just wrap them up in cling film, and then I freeze them, and then they sort of begin to permeate the the the, the flesh of the of the pheasant ham um, you know, while they're freezing and also when they're unfrozen anyway mm. there's a little tip there of what to do now. And you have I noticed when I was at your house recently you have garam masala. 
Yes, I, I tend to have I tend to have it for a particular use, and then it stays there, lives there, forlorn and unloved. And this is the you see the real problem. You know, cooking in my view, the way you cook, where today it's Asian, tomorrow it's Indian, the day after that it's Lebanese, or whatever else it happens to be. Each of them requires a different range of spices, and so you buy the oh, spices, yeah. and the first time you eat them, oh, fantastic. And the second time you eat them, oh, fantastic. The third time you go, oh, where, where's the magic gone? I know, That's I agree. The spices, you know, so it's sort of, it's a tricky one. And I well, think that, he- you know, hence, why, hence why Peter and I have probably got, no, I've, I should have counted them before recording, but I would estimate no less than 25 little bottles in our in our crazy cupboard of, of you know, and it's and it's, it's things like mustard seeds. There's only one recipe I use mustard seeds for, and they sit, they'll sit there for a year and a half, but... Um, you know, you're right. You do. You buy. There's off, often, if you cook lots of different things, there's not a lot of overlap. So you just have to have more. <laughs> no, the spice range that you use for Asian cooking is completely different than that you use for Mediterranean cooking or for Indian cooking. Mm. You know, so you do have to be a little careful. And I think, particularly you know, given the price of food these days, you know, you have to be slightly yeah. sort of plan, maybe plan ahead a bit. But also, having said that, it doesn't often go that wrong if you just do a bit of substituting. And, mm. you know, Google is really good for, you know, we had, I was trying to make a recipe the other day from a Japanese cookbook about, I bought myself and it wanted sake. I thought, oh God, I don't like sake. Nobody sells small amounts of sake. So I just Googled, what's the alternative? It said rice wine. And there was, we had mirin in the cupboard. So I used mirin and, you know, okay, I don't know what it was supposed to taste like, but it was delicious. Yes. So I don't think that's a problem. I think the lesson of that is, that no recipe is needs to be followed slavishly. You know, you, you just have to go with the flow a little bit and go with this, with your store cupboard. And use what you've got. Yes. I have dried Italian chilies that I use quite a lot to liven up, you know, things But like. aren't those the ones that you say you've had, you've had that packet for, for like decades almost? <laughs> They're vintage. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on. So is this the one thing that doesn't lose potency over time? It doesn't, no, because they're dried. I think they they keep their, their flavour. They may not have quite the sort of the fresh freshness that some you know, more more recently yeah. bought was, but they do the job of giving that, whatever it happens to be, that kale, a bit of a zip. A bit of a zing. So what about, what about what other things do you have in your vinegars? Well, do you vinegars? of course, we've got the whole sort of separate oil oil and vinegar situation drawer, and I always tend to have, you know, a very good quality olive oil, a medium olive oil, and then and then a non, you know, a vegetable oil that doesn't have a flavour. Um, vinegars. What do I have? I tend to use Chinese rice wine vinegar more than anything. I don't have a balsamic, and I have the odd. I have the odd bit of vinegar that you give me because you make your own, and I think I this. Is the, I mean, if one had the, if you have the know-how and the time. That's that's great fun. I mean, the last one I finished of yours was elderflower elderflower vinegar. It's not actually. It's not the, the one thing about making vinegar. It's it's the least energy intensive um, activity known to mankind. <laughs> you you just you have to get a, a, a vinegar mother. And my vinegar yeah. mothers, vinegar mothers are in fact they're they're, they're spores. They're um, anyway whatever it is. They're and, yeah. and they and they settle on an alcoholic liquid and they convert the sugars into acids so the almost the early, one of the earliest known foods the earliest known fermentations was i think mesopotamian beer was t- turned into vinegar back far 4000 5000 years ago they found wow. some traces somewhere 
Uh, and how long is the process? Uh, well, all, once you've got your vinegar mother, all I do is, you know, whenever I've got those rare moments when I've, rare occasions when I've actually got some spare wine, I just pour it in. Mm. I've got this vinegar crock. You pour it in at the top. Um, no, it's, they're, they're, they're spores and they, and they are yeasts, actually, which are floating yes. naturally around in the air and they happen to settle on some, some red wine, which I left open. And, and suddenly I noticed this little thing growing in there. So I decanted it into a vinegar crock. And every now and then I just wow. pour wine in and it takes a day or two. And then it's, it, it's the most delicious. Oh, that's quite quick. It that's is. Quick. So I have, I, have, I have one of those. I have a, a, a wine one, red, a mixture of red and white. I have a cider one, which is very good. And, I, and quite by accident, I started making some elderflower one, as you, as you said. So mm-hmm. those are the ones I make. But I probably have another seven or eight other vinegars that I, <laughs> that I use. Wow. And here's a tip, too. If you use vinegar when you're cooking, like in a, in a stew, and you want to give a little sort of sharpness to it, that if you cook with them, they it's it softens the the, the tartness of the vinegar, mm. so it makes it sort of gentler and rounder. Actually, and on that, I'm just thinking about that. I went to a friend's house recently, and she cooked um, lovely Italian pasta dish with tomatoes and olives and lots of interesting flavors. And she now puts a glug of vinegar in pasta, and actually, it has the opposite effect to what you think. It does sort of soften things rather than make them sort of zingy and tart. Um, you mean she adds it to the, so, to, yeah. the, to the sauce or she adding it well, to the... Well, no, she sort of adds it at that point where you sort of, you're mixing everything at the end and oh, you're putting a bit of the pasta water back end. in and all yeah, of yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see why that would, that would mm. work. No, that's re- really good. And then, of course, the, we can talk about the mustards. And... Well, hang on a second. I haven't done my bit on oils yet. You've had your sales. Oh, oils, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, want to do, I want to do a bit more about oils because, uh, like you, I have a, I have a rough-end um, olive oil for frying with and, and mm. browning things and things in. Then I have a very you know, a much more uh, high-end, fancy uh, oil, olive oil. And then my vegetable oil, the sort of neutral oil, I always use is peanut oil. Partly for two reasons, partly because it's got a slightly higher viscosity than I think than you, normal, um, you know, the sort of corn oil and stuff like that. Uh, and it's marvelously neutral. It also has a higher burning point, so you can heat things. Oh, does it? Also. And I use it for making certain dressings with, like, for example, if I'm making a dressing for artichokes, I don't use olive oil for that. I only use peanut oil. Uh, that's, and uh, forgive my it. ignorance, but why do you want a higher viscosity in your oil? Because it clings slightly more to, okay. the, to that. So, so when you're, you know, when you're dipping in your globe artichoke, it yeah. of, it glistens with the oil. Anyway, that's so that's my. Oil. But but you have things like sesame oil too, don't, don't, don't you? Oh yeah, we've got sesame oil, toasted and non-toasted sesame oil. <laughs> But that's it on the oil. Oh, chilli oil. Oh, chilli oil. Big chilli oil fan. Yeah. Um, the one vinegar I do not have in my repertoire is balsamic vinegar. Me too. Don't have balsamic. I think it's a, I think it's a crude and vulgar, rather oafish um, <laughs> condiment. <laughs> Poor balsamic. That's a terrible <laughs> review. No, no. Good balsamic, traditional balsamic, is one of the most divine things made for mankind. But as... Traditional balsamic vinegar takes at least 25 years 
to come about. Well, it's you know, that stuff you buy from Moderna that you practically have to take a mortgage out for. Well, that's well. The way you make it is you get stuff called mosto, which is just boiled must. It's it's just raw um, grape juice from the Trebbiano grape, uh, and I think you reduce it down, and then you decant that into a, a barrel, a small barrel, and then every sort of five years you decant it from one barrel into another barrel made from a different wood. And the woods are, I think it's oak, chestnut, cherry, something or other and something. Wow. I mean, it's, how anybody decided on these different woods, I simply do not know. But it gets, Gosh. but it, it, it um, the water gets drawn out of it and it gets more and more intense and more and more, <sighs> all to, you know, sort of uh, polite. Depth and, of flavour, Dad. Yeah, it Depth does. Of very flavor. intense. And it's very, I think it's very good for you. But, you know, the, the normal commercial stuff, you know, honestly, you can feel the, the veneer on your teeth being peeling mm. off as a result. But yes, I'd, God, yeah, you know, when you get good balsamic and you just have a dollop of that on a piece of really good Parmesan cheese, oh. Just a yeah. drizzle over. A drizzle. I hate that word. Drizzle. Drizzle. Another thing I hate. Am I becoming rather crotchety in my old age? No. Hmm. I mean, you've always no. been crotchety around food. <laughs> <laughs> Just passionate, just passionate, I like food. So, okay, oh. then we've got but then we've got mustards and we've got ketchup versus brown sauce. Uh, not versus, and not versus, together. There's well, room in the world for both. I'm, I'm a brown sauce girl, I've never really been a big ketchup fan. Oh, see, ketchup with, I think ketchup goes very well with sausages. Yes, on, ketchup on, in a hot dog, for on sure. A Sunday, on a Sunday morning. But if you want an egg and bacon sarnie, it's got to be brown sauce. Got to be brown sauce. There are certain things that, you know, that only get work with brown sauce. Mustards. And are you specific about your mustards? Well, I always have a, a, a pot of English mustard because I, I like it. Because if you want to make a, a sausage sarnie, you know, you can't use anything else in my view. I mean, all those f- American mustards and French mustards, just no good. Um, whereas there are certain things, for example, if you want to make rabbit with mustard sauce, it's got to be French mustard. Mm-hmm. La pain à moutarde. And where do you land on the old whole grain? Mm, I tend not to land on it at all. <laughs> That's my, it's my numero uno. I love whole grain. Oh, is it it's, so? that, it's that pop. Oh, little... I just love it. You, what do you, I think you've got a rather more subtle palate than I have, darling. I think you're, you're sophisticated. No, I'm just a textural person. My food loves are mainly texture-based, as are my food hates. Okay, what about things like harissa? Yeah, not a staple. Occasionally, uh, for the odd recipe, or when we go to Stroud Farmers Market and that smoke, yes. pla- the smokehouse From makes the, Strad's, the most incredible. Yeah. Oh, that harissa's amazing. But it's it's really bloody nice when you have it around. But it's not something I buy regularly. But do you have other things like za'atar or what are the other other spice and herb mixtures that you have in the Middle East and or uh, za'atar is... again or what? Unduya, which is a, a, a southern, it's a Calabrian I mean, paste. Yeah, I get, occasionally we get that, but again, it's expensive, right? So, mm. you know, they're not, these are not the cheap kind of standards. So I tend to, if I have it in the house for a particular reason and then we finish it, it's not something I'm always rebuying to make yeah, sure that yeah. we've got. Yeah. So, and, and do you um, have any other sort of staples? What about, I mean, uh, things like dried beans and, and dried 
vegetables. Do you have any? Yeah, I've always got cannellini beans around, a bit like we cooked for you the other day mm-hmm. uh, with some duck. Always got cannellini beans around. Oh, uh, chickpeas, because we started making our own hummus, yeah. which is nice to have around. Can I give you a fantastic chickpea soup? Zuppa di ceci. Yeah. It's the simplest thing in the world. You boil up your, your chickpeas until they're soft, mm-hmm. you know, strain them. Then chop some garlic, chop some uh, some chilli, chop some parsley. Mm-hmm. Yes, bubbling the chickpeas. Fr- fry off the, the garlic and the, and the chilli. Oh, I hate that expression. Uh, and then add some water at the end. And that's it. It's water, chickpeas, garlic, chilli and oil. And it's just divine. Can't really go wrong. Divine. Well, I'll do that next time because one thing we have done this January, every single Sunday this January, we have made a batch soup for the week to enjoy for lunch. And actually, it's an amazing way of just getting rid of whatever's in the fridge. I mean, we're just chucking whatever, bung on a load of stock, whiz it up in a Nutribullet at the end, chuck in some, you know, we had half a tin of cannellini beans, threw those in. So I think actually, if you think about that kind of cooking as well, we could eat, we could talk about these as as pantry staples, because often you don't get them, I mean, a lot, a lot of people keep them in the fridge, but it's garlic and onions. Absolutely. I think, well, what is a kitchen, a kitchen is not complete without garlic and onions. I think we've got to have that. No. And salt and pepper, incidentally. I think there's a sort of... Any kitchen that I'm in, to the point where I take it to someone's house, <laughs> if I'm going to be cooking there, is soy sauce. Oh, yes, your love affair of the soy. Oh, Really, it's a never-ending love affair. It gets stronger and stronger. Do you have any particular any particular ones you'd like more than others? Well, I learnt the other day from this brilliant Japanese cookbook that I bought called Japanesey, which, which I mean, does what it says on the tin. It makes Japanese cooking seem easy, and it, we've made some really delicious things. But I didn't know this, that Japanese and Chinese soy sauces have quite distinctly different flavours. Fundamentally, the Japanese being lighter and the Chinese being heavier and thicker. But I tend to, I mean, I'll buy whatever's there because if there's only one option, I'm buying it because I can't not have soy sauce. But I tend to buy Kickerman, you know, low sodium. And what about tamari? Does that, does that do... do... Yeah, I, I don't really know if I can... I mean, shoot me for it. I don't really know if I can tell the difference, <laughs> massively so. So so I tend to just buy straight up soy sauce the the low salt version because I use far too much of it oh and fish sauce I use Ah, a lot of the time but I've covered that before like well there is also a very good Italian one I think it's maybe Sicilian because they originally used to make the, the the Romans used to make a thing called garum which was basically exactly it was was fish sauce it was fermented uh fish guts uh, apparently, the, oh. apparently the people who made garum weren't terribly popular in polite society, and not surprisingly. <laughs> but it was, and, it, and they they've started making it again. It was colaturi di aici, oh, really? made from anchovies, uh, and it has exactly the same, except it's a bit, I think it's a bit more intense than uh, Vietnamese. And it's a li- it's liquid, yeah, it's liquid same as normal fish sauce. Bottles, and it's probably rather more expensive, <laughs> like most of these things. I mean, I was about to say, I'm assuming we can only get these at specialist Italian delis, and it probably costs a bomb. Mm. It's it, it doesn't cost a bomb. It costs more than than fish sauce. Oh well, I'll definitely I'm I'll get one to experiment with. I tell you what's worth it: adding some to some mashed potato. Oh, oh yum! Yeah, I can imagine that. Oh, the other thing, the other thing that's often in most people's kitchens is Worcestershire sauce. Ah, do you know, I was about but to say the very same I, thing. Oh, were you? Yes, I was. Given that, that given that this is a totally non-planned episode, that's amazing. 
<laughs> well, it seems to me that we probably come to the end in that case. If we, if, if our minds have converged in that mysterious way, we should probably call it a day. Well, what were you going to say about Worcestershire sauce? Well, I would say that No Kitchen is, for me, I would say the Worcestershire sauce is like the, the soya sauce is for you. I mean, I, you know, I had a splash here and a dash there. I love it on, on a poached egg, which is itself on a, on a pike mm. little crumpet. What else do I? I, mean, I use it. I use it in stews, you know, to give it a bit of a bit of a lift and so on and so forth. I think it is invaluable. Uh, it's an invaluable condiment. You think, oh, this needs a little something. I know what it is. We need some Worcestershire sauce. And of course, for any of those Bloody Mary lovers out there, uh, but, not me. But when I discovered the other regional sauce that is similar but has an added slightly different flavour which I now consider the upgrade, is which I got for you, and I can't remember what you thought of it, is Lancashire sauce. But that has sort of mustard in it as well, doesn't it? Curry. Cu- it's got oh, a curry, curry flavour. That's right, a curry note. Yes, it, it, it is a remarkable condiment in its own right. I've discovered at my local health food shop, and I don't have a box, so I can't tell you exactly what all the ingredients are, but I discovered this squeezy tube in kind of crazy psychedelic colours. It's great for attracting you to the that part of the shelf. It's called UFO sauce. And it's basically, when you read the ingredients, it's effectively a squeezy tube of, you know, mayonnaise consistency of probably most of the items we've mentioned on this recording <laughs> all in one. It's, so It's got mustard, it's got Worcestershire sauce, it's got mayonnaise, it's got cayenne pepper, it's got garlic powder, it's got onion powder, it's got a bit of ketchup, it's got, I mean, but God, that's slathered on a piece of toast or with an egg, I, I, and it's just, it's amazing. So what you could say is, you could ignore everything that we've talked about in the course of this podcast, just get that yep. one tube. And God knows if they sell it anywhere else, but go to Bounds Greens Greens in Bounds Green and buy tons of UFO sources. And, and then and you'll, you'll never just, go then you're hungry. sorted. <laughs> never go hungry. I even I even just and this is gonna sound disgusting, but the other day I even put a spoonful in my cheesy pasta. I mean like, it was delicious. Skinny on. Some things have to be respected, really. Anyway, Why darling, not? it's um. I think we should probably draw a halt to this because otherwise we'll, we'll you know we'll discover that yet another little corner where there's a little stash of delicious little nuggets of this that and the other which we should be talking about. So exactly. Well, maybe there'll be a part two because I'm sure we'll come up with lots of other things. We can all come back for more. But go on then. Before we go, tell me something you've cooked recently or that you're about to cook. Well, I told you that I'd done this. Um, I did this osobuco, classic osobuco. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it was for a charity dinner that Tom P.B. Barkabels and I were cooking and I made the, made the osobuco and the risotto alla milanese and then I made, do you remember my late sister-in-law's Dilu's lemon tart one of the, mm, the well. great things of beauty and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's instead of having a thick custard like that of lemon flavoured custard on it it has a very thin um, very, very intense Egg, butter, sugar, mm. lemon juice, and lemon peel. That's it, and it's just the most divine thing. And which side of the um, which side of the tomato mountain do you land with osabuco? To tomato or not to tomato? Ah, well, that's a very good, very good point. I actually did not tomato this this last one. It's it's a, it comes out as meatier, I think, um, but I I think I prefer it really. Do you put? I mean. Do you put anything in instead of the tomato to bulk it up, or does it just? No, lots of chopped vegetables. I chop a lot of vegetables, chop a lot of onions, celery, and carrots. Okay. 
um, and then no, and then there's a, a, you know, then there's white wine uh, stock, and then just use it to cook the the uh, the veal in, and then um, and then reduce it down until you have a nice mm. thick Lovely. thickish goo, and it goes very very well with the rice. So that was it. So what, what about you? Well, I made from this from my Japanese book. I made um, a homemade katsu curry, which was a really fun process actually. But I mean, who would have thunk that half an apple and half a banana go into katsu sauce? I mean, of all the things you're putting in your blender, I wouldn't wasn't expecting to put in half a banana and half an apple. But there we go. Um, and that was really delicious. And we did it properly with you know breaded chicken, some sticky rice. But there's an intensity of the sauce. And at the end, you're making, okay, we're making a Japanese katsu curry here. And then at the end of it, you throw, you lob in a load of ketchup, which is in the recipe. (laughs) But there was a really, there was actually a really fascinating introduction to this book talking about how Japanese curry actually stems from the English curry um, in terms of its heritage. And so I suppose one can, can understand that. But um, just just to, to draw these two things together, this book and store, store cupboards, is that I have, in the last couple of weeks, been making my own sauces, like my own Japanese paste out of various things, uh, ponzu sauce. I then made a Thai version of a paste, and I bought squeezy bottles, which are, I know you've got them, mm. but it's a blooming genius. And I just bought those cheap American ketchup squeezy bottles and I've filled them with all these little homemade sauces and it's fab. It's a really kind of sustainable way to keep interesting flavours that aren't already just in your bottles or jars in your kitchen cupboard. And then, you know, the other night I just thought, what have we got in the house? Well, we've got some, we've got a packet of rice, we've got some sea bass fillets, so we cook those. And then I found this Thai paste and ponzu sauce that were in squeezy bottles in the fridge and hey presto, we had a meal. Well, that seems to sum up thoughts on food in a nutshell. Inspirational and practical. <laughs> what is hoping? <laughs> anyway, next week we are talking to Andy Oliver. Andy, oh, the divine Andy. Divine Andy. All right, Dad, well, have a good evening and I'll chat to you next week. Inspired, I'm sure, going ravage the, uh, the, the spice cupboard and see what I can come up. Lovely as always, my <laughs> good darling. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>